Hi, my name is Ian Khan, and you're listening to the Innovation Times Podcast. I am a technology author, speaker, and an advocate for everything good that technology brings. A part of my work is running the Innovation Times Podcast and bringing together people from various aspects of the industry and talk about how technology is affecting the way that they perform their jobs, their functions, and how they're leading their organizations to change that's propelled by technology. As part of my podcast, I interview people from all segments of the industry and different verticals as well. This month, I have had the pleasure of talking to two very special people. Hi, this is Ian Khan at the Ontario Center of Excellence Discovery 2017 uh, conference, and I have uh, Gina McCarthy with me, uh, a leader in uh, environmental protection. Uh, she served under President Obama, and it's a pleasure uh, to have her here uh, give us a few minutes of, of her time and talk about what's really important uh, in terms of the environment, technology, and also tomorrow. Gina? Welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Ian. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. So tell us a little bit more about what did you see at this show since since morning? I believe you've been around. You've I been did. to uh, uh, the Greenhouse Mission uh, Center. You've, uh, you've uh, seen a few different yeah. things. Tell us what you see here. Well, I saw what I was hoping to see, <laughs> which is a lot of high energy, a lot of young people with bold ideas, new technologies, new operational ideas. You know, ways of thinking about changing the world that makes me very hopeful about how far we can make progress in the world on clean air and clean water and healthy land, but also on the challenge of climate change, which I think is one of the greatest existential threats of our time. So it's fun. I see technologies that, that are being married at the early stage of development with their customers like big steel companies or... Um, uh, mining industry, I see new transportation technologies, new fuels, I see the healthcare industry responding, looking at new technologies, and I, I hope to make it clear that the threat of climate change will require sort of that breadth of, of change as we move forward to, to both identify the risks that we have to face and, and the way in which we have to respond to those. So it's pretty exciting. Lots of innovation, lots of energy, hopefully lots of investment as well. Absolutely. Now, technology is such a huge part of uh, what we do today and, and, you know, the future would would look nothing like what it's looking like right now without technology, and technology being in many different fashions uh, or, or, or faucets. For example, you've got uh, automobiles uh, running clean automobiles, with, uh, uh, and then you've got uh, smart homes, you've got so many different layers of technology. What would you say is predominantly uh, some of the some of the highlights that you see uh, over the next few years that would yeah. that would really make a dramatic impact in, in the short term first of all a quick impact uh, if, if you will well there's I mean one of the areas that that's the fastest growing still in the US even though we have cleaner vehicles and and are moving forward with that is in the transportation area I mean, you mentioned it, Ian. It's impressive to see not just uh, electric vehicles here, but fuel cell vehicles. In the U.S., it's impressive to know that Tesla is now a more highly valued auto company than General Motors. You know, it's amazing how the world is changing. And those are areas where we now know we have to pay specific attention. 
because in Canada and the U.S., we're, we're urbanizing now. We have youth that don't necessarily look to own a car. They look at opportunities for public transportation, opportunities for Ubers and autonomous vehicles, thinking outside the box about how they're going to manage the way they move around and make it consistent with sustainable cities. That's a big challenge, and it's a challenge that requires investment now in order to have the next leap forward in 10, 15, or 20 years. That's the biggest challenge we face is getting over that valley of death so that you can actually make sure that the cars you want people to drive from an environmental and a sustainability perspective are the ones that also are marketable. It's bringing that cost down. It's broadening the market for these. And that's what OCE is, is all about. That's what these technology venues are all about. Early ideas that need to get to broad acceptance and marketability. Absolutely. Now, with some of the newer technologies that, that, are, that are gaining popularity fast just because of the impact that they will uh, predictably have, for example, the Internet of Things, where everything is connected with sensors and you're yes. getting all this information, you're, you're dealing with big data that's coming in and you're, you're able to analyze the, the endpoints and figure out what's going on. Uh, you could be using sensors in, let's say, the oceans to, to, uh, to, to sense what is happening with uh, water temperatures, or That's you right. could be using them in farms. There's so many applications. How do you see technologies such as that, uh, Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, or, or one of the faster growing technologies, playing a role in environment protection, coupled with the growth of technology itself? Yeah. Well, it, it all, all, you know, it obviously is central to what we need to think about because it exists. These capabilities are with us today, and you can either use them to grow a sustainable world, or you can use them to actually just grow whatever is marketable in your world. And so I think the challenge is to think about how we use these technologies to advance us as a whole so that we continue to grow strong and grow jobs economically, but also that we recognize the limitations of the natural world and we do what we can to live within them. Now, in the U.S., it's everything from, you know, those same types of big data in innovation in, and technology improvements are being used for citizen science at the local level. So you can know what your air quality looks like, you can plan for your kids, if they have asthma, whether to let them outside to play or whether to keep them indoors. It helps you manage your own energy efficiency in your own home. It opens up a wealth of opportunities for individuals to understand what their exposure is to pollution and how to manage their lives more effectively and keep them healthy. That same technology is also bringing us the ability to understand sweeping changes like in, in the ocean. What is the status of our fisheries? What, are they healthy? We, what, what changes are we seeing in ecosystems that are going to potentially drive different types of economic opportunities as well as challenges? And how do we take advantage of that information to actually provide it in a way that people will pay attention to and we can continue to innovate moving forward? So it is the basis of a discussion that generations before never had. And opportunities, I hope, for us to have a world that is more sustainable than the one we have today. Excellent. You mentioned you mentioned jobs and uh, job creation and, yeah. and new jobs, the creation of new jobs in, in in any region and country, especially in the United States and Canada, is, is a very important factor that determines the health of the economy and the progress that we make as nations. Yeah. Now, 
on a sidetrack, entrepreneurship uh, and, and through technology and entrepreneurship in its own is, is also an amazing way uh, to kickstart your career. Now, marry the two, job creation and entrepreneurship with technology and some of the opportunities that we potentially have with the environment, with sustainability, with, uh, with, with measuring greenhouse uh, gas emissions through an app that a young startup would create, or, or, or managing the state of fisheries and, and, and figuring out through big data what should change and how those things, uh, and how that data helps yeah. us interpret the next steps we should take. What do you think the role of young entrepreneurs uh, should be? within the state of tech, yeah. married with environment, sustainability. Is there an opportunity for, for us to grow that? I, th I think there is. This generation is the most tech savvy that, that has ever you know, been on this earth. I mean, let's be very serious about it. The way that technology changes now and how quickly is staggering to somebody my age. It is mind-blowing. And the thing that people like me have to do is embrace it instead of being worried or nervous about it, because it does change everything. But the other good quality about the, the young generation that I see is they are so in tune with what's going on with the world. You know, they are not living in individual bubbles. They're experiencing all the data available to them. They have huge empathy and understanding of what the challenges are in the world today. They're not blind to them. They can see them on the news, on the internet, every day. And they are going to be looking not just at, at the technology itself and what that means for them as an entrepreneur to get it into the market and make money, but they're doing it like you see here today as a way that also is bringing social values into that equation. Well, they want technologies that not only make money but that improve the world. This is what this young generation is bringing to the table, and it, to me, it's extraordinarily exciting, but perhaps more importantly at a time in the United States where you know, we have an administration that's not necessarily looking to embrace research and science the way that we hoped. You know, it's, it's encouraging to be here and hopefully I'll go back renewed uh, to the U.S. And, and bring that sense of hope back again because it is all about science, it's all about data, it's all about technology, it's all about the innovation and the entrepreneurship and that's what's going to keep our countries growing strong. Now, let, me, let me ask you really, uh, as we conclude this interview, just shortly, I know you're short of time, you have a keynote coming up uh, yeah. shortly as well. If, if, if we boil down everything, if we boil down everything we do to make things better for the greater world, I, I think one word that I can think about is, is value creation. It's about creating value that, that can benefit others more than anything else. Now, keeping value creation at, at the back of our mind, what do you think are some of, the, some of the main one or two things that you would say are very important? Would it be uh, being more innovative? Would it be focused more on, on creating value? What, what would it be? What would be the sum total of advice for the broader community that you think we should, uh, we should look for? Well, Ian, I have a funny feeling that you should be doing uh, the keynote coming up because it's a, a great entree into discussing what we see today and what, what we need. You know, I think the most important thing that I have learned is, is communication. You know, you can create value, but you need to explain to people why it's a value to them, why it matters to their family, why it matters to their economy, 
what it means for their lives. So, so I think the most important thing is when you're looking at marketing these new technologies and thinking about it, it's so important to make it personal. It's so important to connect, not just to your own customers, but to allow your customers to actually take advantage of the value it add, adds to them and their company and the people that work there. People don't just want jobs now, they want a mission. And I love it. It means that, that the world will, will head in a direction where you know, those that are now vulnerable will be protected. Uh, those that need you know, access to new technologies may get that opportunity. So I'm pretty excited and uh, hopefully I'll share that enthusiasm when I do the keynote. Excellent. I, I think it's also the fact that, that we, as, we as a developed society have, are, are so privileged to have access to all the things that we do. And this is not at a consumer level. But, but at an infrastructure level, at, at uh, you know, we've got clean drinking water, we've got, we've got um, warm homes, we've got great roads and cars. Uh, and I, I really believe that we as, as a developed society and culture can make the greater impact on communities worldwide that, that actually don't have uh, access to clean drinking water at all uh, or, or food. Uh, I think it's it's a place of great responsibility. So just just to kind of conclude, give us give us your final take on us uh, being responsible for creating global change rather than just making change here. And uh, what your parting words would be? Well, I think we need to, to provide that leadership, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Is the most important thing is that developing countries should developed countries should support developing countries moving forward and recognize that we all call this earth our home. If you want to be sustainable, it's not just the actions in, de in developing countries we need to look at, it's how the developed countries ha actually support that. And we know we want them to learn from the lessons that we have learned that you don't have to separate air from water, from waste, from sustainability. You need to look at it as a whole. You need to take actions that not only bring renewable energy for energy generation, but to, to actually produce clean water for people. If we can help them with those leaps and make it accessible, then we have, I think, fulfilled at least some of our responsibility to the world for the pollution that we generated that has put us in this position in the first place. Well, thank you so much for your time. This is Gina McCarthy at the Ontario Center of Excellence Discovery 2017 Conference. We look forward to your keynote, and thank you so much for spending time with us. Thank you, Ian. It was great. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Our first guest is Gina McCarthy. Uh, McCarthy held the position of Assistant Administrator of the U.S. EPA from 2009 to 2013. And uh, she worked intensively on environmental issues at state and local levels and um, became uh, the, the EPA administrator under President Obama. So she's done a lot of work uh, in protecting the environment and making sure that, uh, you know, the, 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 the changes that are happening in the environment around us are, are, are you know, sustained and, and contained in a way so that they're not degrading the environment uh, in, in which we in which we live. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting um, uh, Ms. McCarthy at uh, the Ontario Center of Excellence Discovery 2017 conference uh, that had a stellar 
a uh, number of speakers and uh, it was very fortunate that we met and uh, and sat over uh, a few minutes and, and talked about some issues relating to technology and what is happening within the technology landscape. So without any further ado, uh, here's my interview with uh, Gina McCarthy. And uh, as soon as this is over, I'll introduce you to uh, my second guest. Here we go. That was a really great conversation uh, between Gina and myself. And really, uh, she, she's an amazing um, person. It was really nice uh, to, be, uh, to be part of this conversation with her. Our second guest for this show uh, this time is uh, someone from the retail industry and someone who's uh, been in retail and tech for a long, long time. Uh, I was very honored to visit um, the Holt Renfrew uh, headquarters here in uh, Toronto, Canada and uh, meet with uh, none other than Gail Blank. And um, uh, Gail is an industry veteran. She's got uh, a lot of experience under her belt working in diff different areas within within retail and technology and really some of the insights she share, she uh, shared with me were uh, very key in understanding how the industry is moving and what there's what is happening uh, within the world of high fashion retail uh, that is so interesting and how technology uh, can be part of that uh, that question and that equation and that solution set that'll power the industry going forward. Uh, here's here's a conversation between Gail and myself and uh, you know grab a coffee and uh, and have a listen in. Thanks. Hi, this is Ian Khan with the Innovation Times podcast. Today we are interviewing one of the coolest people in the industry. We're interviewing Gail Blank, who is the Vice President of IT at Holt Renfrew, one of the biggest retail brands in North America. Gail, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ian. Glad to be here. Tell us what's on your plate. What is keeping you awake at night? Tell us all about it. Well, um, I guess there's two things keeping me awake at night, a yin and a yang. The yin is that uh, we're transforming an industry, and particularly luxury retail industry, at a tremendous rate. And the technologies available are, are mind-blowing. Um, that's the good news. The other thing that keeps me away at night is obviously the yang, and that is the security. And, and, and how do you keep this running clean and, and safe? So, so as technology progresses, it's this constant balance of getting stuff out there as fast as you can, but ensuring uh, the safety net of information security and enterprise security and customer privacy. Uh, at the same time. But retail is it's just pivoting, and it's pivoting so quickly. Um, when we talk about the Internet of Things in retail, it's, it's not that new. I mean, the technology is new, but if you go into grocery stores, they've been monitoring their refrigerators and their freezers for years now. Uh, they weren't connected through Wi-Fi, but they were still you know, sort of keeping an eye on stuff. Uh, now the opportunity for uh, keeping an eye on it real time and less expensively is huge. Um, but those were the efficiency kinds of plays. Now it's about effectiveness. Um, you can look at uh, using technology not only to understand where your customer physically is, if he or she gives you uh, the right to, but you can start to learn based on their 
their past behavior based on the stuff going on in their lives. If you if you start to um, access all their social media, and you can really become um, the notion of a relationship with a customer becomes even more possible. And you know, when I spent time at Loblaws and Walmart, this is something you would do in a in a uh, sort of a, at scale approach. But in the luxury world. This can be one-to-one. -one. I mean, your customers uh, have tremendous expectations about the experience they're going to have. And you can actually use technology in a way that, that creates really tight relationships. Um, and there are two critical success factors for a luxury retailer. Uh, different than, I would say, a mass retailer. One is that relationship with the customer because uh, that is the key thing. The two, the second is uh, understanding where your inventory is. Because our inventory in luxury is unique. Um, it's got two characteristics that, that uh, make it that much more interesting in the digital age. The two things are one, uh, it's expensive. This is very expensive inventory. You can't keep it in the back room um, or a warehouse to ship online. It's just way too expensive. The other thing is it's scarce. So it, it's kind of like art. Only certain numbers are created and therefore getting your hands and getting access to it is absolutely essential. Working with the brand is absolutely essential because um, they have the access to the inventory. So again, very different than mass retailing where suppliers are beating down your doors to get on your shelves. In luxury retail, it's a relationship with the brands and whether they feel that your brand is consistent with their brand and whether they feel your customers are their customers. Um, so for folks, for example, being able to own the Canadian luxury uh, retail customer is absolutely critical for success because that will enable the access to the inventory which enables the customer experience. But when we talk about inventory, um, because it's so scarce, and by the way, it's also perishable. So expensive, scarce, perishable. Perishable in the sense of nobody's going to spend big amounts of money on last year's fashion. So you've got a season to sell it, uh, and then it, it loses its value significantly. Um, so again, these are all things that the computers are great at dealing with. The missing data element has been, uh, where's the inventory? So it sounds trivial, but uh, for every retailer, and I would include mass retailers in this, the, the clincher to going on the channel is where's my inventory. Um, in mass retailers, because they are mass and, and they tend to have many of anything, and it, it is a, a, not a commodity, but a replenishable, certainly not scarce asset, um, you can use tolerances to kind of guess your inventory and get close enough to, to keep your customer satisfied. In luxury retail, 
the probability is you only have two size six red dresses mm -hmm. in that style. So you better know where they are. Uh, and you're not going to afford to have two size sixes in every store across Canada. Mm -hmm. These are, you know, these can be ten, fifteen thousand dollar dresses. So you really, really got to get a handle on that. And I think uh, clearly the Internet of Things, having some technology that that has simple computing capacity. It would be a, an absolute danger. Uh, not only could you know where the inventory is, hypothetically, you could reserve it. Now, you mentioned you mentioned a very interesting thing. You mentioned, uh, and I'll I'll come to the technology part in, in just one second. You mentioned the relationship between uh, the the manufacturers or the brands, uh, and their their work is really carved out. They they're designing their dresses. They're designing their next collections, and from a distribution point of view, they're relying on retailers such as yours, uh, who who deal with high luxury retail, to pass that on to the customer and do that transaction and that exchange. From 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 where you are, what do you see? Uh, is happening within those manufacturers and the larger brands in terms of thinking about the next iteration of how to design their, uh, let's say, lines or clothes, uh, as you will, uh, to incorporate technology and, and kind of to, to start thinking about what uh, part does a technology like Internet of Things play in that entire transaction? Right. So. Um, one of the things that the, the uh, vertically integrated brands are, are looking to do is, because one of the issues in scarce, expensive assets is counterfeit. So a number of, of the labels are starting to use technology uh, to create identifiers that, that show authenticity of an asset. So um, you're beginning to see that. Um, I think in their stores, they're going through the same inventory challenges that the, the retailers are. And, and that's important to note is that most of the established brands are vertically integrated all up to retail, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. I mean, you, you're in the Holtz on Bloor Street right now. And just down the way, you'll find Chanel and Dolce Gabbana. So you'll find them in our store as well as, as somewhere else down the way. Now, the, the customers are a little bit different. You know, he or she who wants just Chanel may just go to the Chanel shop. Mm -hmm. He or she who wants to look around and see what everybody's got is interested in going to a hold. So they serve a different purpose. But I believe that, that their challenges are our challenges. Um, whether they'll, they'll actually uh, get to the point where they put the information available, like the technology available uh, for other retailers mm -hmm. to leverage is a possibility. Uh, but this is a group that doesn't standardize easily. Mm -hmm. I mean, Absolutely. they are artists. So, yeah. so um, I think they'll, they'll focus on authenticity, which they're doing, um, and leave the inventory management 
to the retailer, and and in their own retail stores, they'll they'll be working on it too. Yeah, you 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 mentioned the three uh, the trifecta of uh, uh, you know the retail goods. Uh, they're expensive, uh, they're scarce, and they're perishable. Uh, and you also mentioned the uh, the idea of being able to track every piece of inventory to the to the exact geolocation and the uh, and the and the shelf and so on. Now, talk to us more about the importance of of data and how data integrates into bringing these insights. Or maybe if you're using analytics and how does that fit into getting uh, you know a bird's eye view of all your inventory worldwide in every store. What what have you seen happening, and, and are there is there anything you guys are working on? So so we are working on something. It's it's in uh, I don't know what's what's even younger than beta. So we're 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 developing and we're working with, with folks to look at a, a technology which uh, is not yet developed, uh, but we've got some key components to actually create a device. Um, that is reusable, that has computing power that we can associate with a piece of inventory. So not only can it tell me where it is, it can tell me whether it's sold, it could tell me how many times it got picked up off the shelf, it could tell me how many times. So, so that's kind of where we're going to, to be able to real-time track every you know address we've got. Yeah. Uh, that, that will enable us to, you know, sell as much merchandise at full price as possible. Yeah. Um, and also, that data, you can see the analytics part when, when you figure out that it was tried on 15 times and never bought. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a buyer might go in and say, okay, what's going on here? Or um, they, you know, one of the big challenges is getting um, sizing right. So to notice that, that you know, the largest size gets tried on many times but never get bought may be an indication that we don't have large enough sizes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so watching how the inventory flows and quite honestly, um, you know, given permission from our customers, if, if we can then interact, you know, with knowing who they are with the inventory. Uh, and that's not that difficult. Yeah. So I I would I would think that as compared to uh, the retail uh, retailers such as Walmart's, the Targets, and the Sears of the world, where there is literally thousands and millions of pieces of inventory, and there's a huge volume. I guess in those circumstances, you can talk about big data, and you're collecting statistics. In luxury retail, we're kind of looking at microdata. We're looking at a very small subset of data, but really rich uh, in, in the quality of it. Yes, and, and you, there, there's a notion of being able to define your data. You know, every retailer has a merchandise hierarchy that kind of drives their, their universe. And what's unique about luxury retail is that the, the merchandise hierarchy um, reflects brands, but it doesn't reflect commodities easily. So by commodities, what I mean is interchangeability. So it would be very interesting to know how many black dresses you sold that were knee length. Mm -hmm. And then, so you have to take the data 
and commoditize it to, to start to understand different sort of buying patterns. And then you would uncommoditize it to understand which of your brands are really doing well. But I, I also think that um, so much of the the data is going to come from social media. So if, if we're about luxury and trends and stuff like that, we've, we've got to have a real good ear to the universe and <laughs> who's doing what. Yeah. So whereas what sells is an indicator, you know, what's going on in the world, who are the trendsetters, what's the color going to be, how's it going to show, uh, getting those right. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge, and I think you know the real opportunity there for us is is social media, being able to mine all of what's going on and figuring out how to mine it, and and you know over time get control. Yeah. Now, uh, a very interesting point, um, and I'm sure you know a lot of, uh, let's say, retails or retailers, or let's say uh, retailers in other segments such as uh, the Amazons, the Netflixes of the world they've started using artificial intelligence uh, to provide those shopper recommendations and to uh, suggest different models and, 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 and such like. Now, I have two questions. Now, the first one is around shopper experience. How do you design that shopper experience through a platform such as artificial intelligence uh, within stores? And what are your insights on how the stores of tomorrow will be different from those of today when you've incorporated the mirrors that will help you uh, visualize yourself in in the dress that sits in aisle 21d and you just press a button and without trying the dress you literally can see yourself in that in that uh, uh, technology powered mirror uh, to see what you look like and then you can try the dress on also the price point of uh, the dresses is so high that it might not be possible to try all the dresses all the time. Uh, so that's that's one part of my question. Uh, what do you think about where retail experience is going? Uh, and then I'll ask the second question. So, so I think there are tools that help, particularly with the scarcity issue. Um, and something like those mirrors are really, really important. But I think it's also important that um, Luxury retail is still, so there's kind of, it bifurcates. There are those who, who are more transactional and, and do research and then search for scarcity and buy, and those are transactional. So for instance, uh, you saw a dress and you know you want it and you just buy it. And there are people who just do that. And then there are the people who have relationships with our associates who turn to them for all the help. Now, th those folks um, will use analytics, and they'll also use their own acumen. So there's a, a bit of art and science. So remember, I remember you bought those red shoes, or it shows me, and this dress is in the exact same shade, and it's just coming in, and would you be interested, that kind of stuff. So that's a bit of human and, mm -hmm. and technology to make sure you've got the right color red. Yes. So I, I think there's a lot, a lot of opportunity to, to find out what people want based on what they're saying and what they're buying, and then fulfill that, that dream. And it's going to be more than, you know, even at a place like Walmart, 
merchants will still say it's a mixture of art and science. Uh, so if Walmart's a mixture of art and science and science is 80% and art is 20%, we're more 50-50 um, because there's so much art in, in fashion. Yeah. And, um, brand recognition. Yeah. Now, the human element within selling is so critical, and I think it, it again, uh, as you said, it boils down to having that personalized relationships, especially within uh, luxury retail, where you've got a set of customers that always work with you, and you're their personal uh, shopper, uh, if you will, and you're their, uh, you know, you're their human recommendation engine to tell them what's coming on to the shelves tomorrow and what they can pre-book. So I think I, I just wanted to highlight the importance of that human element despite the technologies that are powering up uh, the experiences that we're having, uh, the amazing amount of uh, innovation, if you will, within retail or any industry. Uh, I think that human element is still present and it still will be despite all the technological evolution of things. Um, and there's no replacement for that. Uh, we talk a lot about um, uh, innovation in general and you know how technology will take over everything and everything will be automated and we will lose our jobs but but I think that that there's no replacement for that for that human element and plays a key part in in the in the value chain within uh, luxury retail from the manufacturer to the end customer everything is handcrafted uh, and and so on uh, do you see uh, the manufacturers or the or the labels or the brands uh, automating things or do you think they'll still stay with the ways that they have you know the handmade the couture the, what do you see happening there uh, you know so definitely they'll stay with the couture I mean there's a market people value it um, but I, I you know I suspect uh, that they diversify uh, and, and wherever possible without, you know, tarnishing their brand, they will look for efficiencies. But I think they will, they will, they, they have no need for mass production. So th there's nothing in it. They, they actually, scarcity is part of, of the business model uh, to the point where some, people, if you can't sell at full price, would rather see it destroyed mm -hmm. than marked down. Yeah. So, so the brand, it's, as I said, it's like Picasso suggesting he's going to start, you know, doing it on a printing press on or something. Printing I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that close to art. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got to be. Excellent. So well, thank you. Parting words, really. What would you tell manufacturing, uh, sorry, not manufacturing, what would you tell vendors of technology, innovators, and people who are out there trying to uh, best create and recreate those experiences and helping retailers like yourselves do uh, a much more engaging job with engaging with your customers, what would your advice be to those technology companies out there in terms of where your needs are now and tomorrow and where they should focus? Yeah. So the uh you know, you got to keep focusing on on the, um, the the ability to get data that's painless. I mean, if, if we could just sort of 
and you gave us permission to sort of suck it out, then that would be great. Well, that's never going to happen. So, so the tools that we develop uh, have to be developed so that the, the information byproduct is easy to get to. Um, it's because it is about you know bringing in that data. The, the analytics and stuff like that are really important, but the ability to, to capture data, is like the fishing of the data, is, is, is absolutely critical. Um, we didn't talk at all about, at all about security, but we, we need to trust the people who are building things and building things with security in mind, because uh, that will be you know, the biggest yin to this yang, or yang to this yin that we're going to see. Uh, we witnessed, you know, a little bit of that, not too long ago, with that little ransomware thing. But designing assets that are easy to secure is going to be really important, and figuring out how to keep them secure is going to be important. So it, it's, you know, I think much like even in enterprises, the shiny objects, the new algorithm gets the gets all the play. But, but in the end, running it, sustaining it, and keeping it secure is equally as important. Um, and, and so, I ask that as as technology moves more and more to the consumer running the show, that the technologists don't forget that. On behalf of those consumers, enterprises demand security and operability and, and you know, uh, architectural soundness and stuff like that. So we can't lose all the gains we made in getting control and running clean environments because that's still important yep. uh, in the Wild West. <laughs> I, 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 I do want to ask you uh, a, a question around security and uh, since you've touched on the point. Uh, there's a lot of talk about securing that information and you know we talked about let's say uh, IOT enabled dresses and uh, RFID enabled tags and, and so on and so forth. Uh, there's a huge possibility those tags will get hacked. Uh, there's a huge possibility somebody will hack into those tags, uh, steal that information, erase it all and copy those tags to their tags and so on. The, the possibilities are unlimited. Uh, one of the technologies that is getting a lot of uh, attention is blockchain and how it will change the world and how it's a, how it's a fundamental technology and not, uh, not, not an innovative technology. It's, it's fundamental because it just it's, it, it changes everything. It's yeah. not disruptive anymore. Yeah. Do you see blockchain as an example playing a part in the security yeah. element uh, within luxury retail? Yes. Uh, I mean, when we talk about uh, being able to authenticate whether an asset is real or not, you can see the building it from the moment you, you, you start creating it as, a, as an asset in, in a blockchain environment, you can protect it all the way through. And, and so if your supply chain can run that way, then if you can get it all the way up to the consumer eventually, I, I think it's a solution. I um, have been looking into this blockchain epidemic <laughs> and um, I do believe it has the potential to take the security issues that keep me up at night 
uh, you know, and white women accept. Having said that, it is such a fundamental change for the enterprise yeah. that, that, you know, it's either we'll get scared to death and do it, or we'll just do it for other reasons. But I suspect it would be the former, not the latter. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, no, I think security is, is going to be the issue going forward. And so far, we've only seen one sort of implementation of technology, whether it be uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum, that, that addresses it head on. Uh, and we're going to figure out how to do that. Or the economy will figure it out. Banks will figure it out. Insurance companies, I mean, they'll have to figure it out if they'll go out of business. So. Well, definitely, there's a there's a huge uh, uh, convergence of systems that needs to take place between financial institutions, uh, businesses, and manufacturers, and it's uh, easier said than done. But but even banks are looking into uh, blockchain, and a lot of them have invested money yeah. into it. So it's definitely a technology that has promise, a great amount of promise, uh, and I'm hoping that it it does add that additional level of security. Uh, to oh. transactions, to tracking, to inventory. Yeah, and, and you know, if you read some of the, uh, with every new technology, there's always profits out there. And if you listen to some of the profits, uh, you know, it has the possibility of ending world hunger for real. Yeah. So, so it does, it, it is a completely different technology that has the, the power to do um, to the globe what the internet did to the globe, just different. The, the, the big difference here, though, is it's way under under the covers. It's not sexy like the internet. There's never going to be anything sexy mm -hmm. about it. Uh, so, so it's never going to have the kind of visibility, and it's going to have to get built um, on really good business cases. And they're out there. Unfortunately, they're more out there in the developing world mm -hmm. than in the mm -hmm. Western world. Yep. So we'll see how, how, how much humanity we actually have. Absolutely. Well, Gail, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate the insights that you've shared with our, uh, with our listeners. Uh, this is Ian Khan with uh, the Innovation Times podcast, and it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Innovation Times. Thank you so much for joining us on this uh, podcast, and um, keep in tune for the next time where we have somebody coming in from the associations world, uh, somebody from the big five accounting firms, to give us insight on what blockchain is doing for these industries, and there's a lot more. If you have any requests for interviews, please uh, send them through to ian at iancon.com, and we'll try our best to accommodate uh, your request and, um, and you. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful day.